No one ever saw this coming, but here we are, bonded forever by the same ex-husband. Once arch enemies and now partners in crime, we journey to the edge of sanity to uncover the dark truth about our ex-husband. My name is Athena. And I'm Amber. And we are the creators of Ex-Wives Undercover. The information provided in this podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information is for general informational purposes only. Listeners of Ex-Wives Undercover should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. Welcome back, X-Fans. We're so excited to have a special guest on our podcast today. His name is Bruce Johnson. He just so happens to be Athena and I's amazing First Amendment rights attorney who helped us when our ex-husband, Brandon, a.k.a. Ben in the podcast, tried to get domestic violence restraining orders on us and to silence us from telling our true story. With that said... There is so many women coming forward in the last couple of years to share their experiences and essentially out their toxic exes on social media, on podcasts, and the web. We've seen this with the Me Too movement, the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial, and even the police officer in Stinnett whose affairs went viral on social media. As you all know, myself and Athena were brave enough to join this club in order to protect other women. But... It's simply not that easy. In fact, we actually were taken to court to defend ourselves, which is incredibly stressful and can cost thousands and thousands of dollars in lawyer fees. Therefore, we thought it would be a good idea to have Bruce come on our show to give us some helpful insight into First Amendment laws and important things you should know before going out on a limb and exposing your ex. People probably don't have any idea about some of the repercussions that could potentially happen because it happened to us. We just thought, you know, hey, if it's the truth, there's no slander or whatever, but you still can go to court. (laughs) There's still some things that could get a little messy. And so you being a First Amendment rights kind of specialist, let's let's go to uh, (laughs) Bruce. And so we just want to yes, if you have a little itch to to out somebody, you, you really need to kind of keep a few things in mind, essentially. So with that said, Bruce, would you introduce us to you and give us a short little brief background on what you do, what you specialize in, and then we'll kind of hop into some questions. Yeah, uh, I'm Bruce Johnson. I mostly practice in Seattle, though I'm also uh, a lawyer in California and New York. Um, and my work for the last 40 plus years has been principally defending people's free speech rights. So I'm a First Amendment lawyer. Um, and that they come up in odd places, as you guys know all, all too well. It, they, uh, these free speech issues just surface out of nowhere. And so I, I, I will get called upon to deal with it. Um, since 1978, the Me Too movement, I think, has triggered more more commentary, which necessarily triggers more lawsuits. So I'll just leave it at that. Leave it at that. Right. Yeah. Very true. This will be like a, a blast from our past. Brandon slapped both Amber and I with those DV harassment orders, and you immediately disregarded his claims. 
and said that it was a First Amendment issue. So why and what is the difference? Very interesting question, actually. Um, there's a concept in First Amendment law called speech on matters of public concern. Uh, that's the key determinant. Is this a matter of public concern uh, or is it just a private dispute? If it's the matter of public concern, then the First Amendment triggers all sorts of protections, uh, including actually most recently anti-slap laws. Uh, I was involved in getting an anti-slap law last year for Washington State, which helps get rid of these cases earlier, uh, awards fees and so forth. So it's it's a big determinant <clears throat> determination as to which is protected. Private speech is not public speech on matters of public concern is. You guys, frankly, we're basically doing what you're doing right now, which is talking to the public about a, a significant social problem. Uh, and sometimes it has a name, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but it's a problem you guys have been dealing with, and therefore it seemed instant, almost assuredly that there's a First Amendment right lurking here rather than just somebody trying to punish you uh, with a uh, DVPO, um, which was an absurd, put it bluntly, uh, an absurd allegation. Yes, you it engaged was. in domestic <laughs> violence by criticizing me yeah. and poking fun at me. So, yeah. In July of 2021, the state of Washington has a new anti-slap statute. It basically is replacing the version that the Washington Supreme Court had declared as invalid in 2015. So this statute restores important defenses for news organizations, political groups, and other speakers and publishers against defamation and similar claims. Along those same lines, I just got to thinking what is a matter of public concern? Is it, is there any flexibility in that? Because what if someone's like, you know, this person cheated on me. Is that public concern? Do people need to know about that versus this person is a domestic violence. He's abusing me. He's hitting me. He's, you know, is there this fine line? Is it a gray area? You know, is it just, uh, when is it this person's being vengeful and they're just trying to destroy my life versus they're genuinely, you know, concerned about, the welfare of someone else and they're, you know, kind of blasting this person? That's a very good question. Um, one of the reasons we have lawyers is to make a distinction between public concern and things that are not public concern. And there's 20 to 30 years of case law going back, actually going all the way back to New York Times versus Sullivan in 1964. So a long history of cases saying here are matters of public concern, which are of special protection under the First Amendment. And courts have to discern the difference. And you have to hire a lawyer mm -hmm. who <laughs> will help persuade them that this is a matter of public concern. So yeah, that's that's a it's a it's 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 more an art than a science, I guess. You can't just sort of add up, well, this deals with that, this deals with this, and therefore it's private. No, it's public. Um, and there's a whole whole host of cases that deal with where uh, a personal relationship becomes a matter of public concern. Sometimes that's the person who is talking about her relations, her own life. Mm -hmm. And to be quite frank, we learn about life by hearing people talking about life. So virtually anything of particular interest in your life can be a matter of public concern. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, especially if you are dealing with an individual who could who has harmed you and then could go out and harm 
other multiple individuals in your community, then by sharing that information, we are helping to protect, which is us giving back to the community, which then falls under the safe zone, hopefully. Um, So can you explain what the difference is between slander and libel? Huh. Yeah. uh, If you really want to go back a long way, uh, slander originated, I think, in the uh, ecclesiastical courts and libel originated in the crown courts. Um, That's going back to the 14th century, but you don't want to hear that, I'm sure. (laughs) However, slander is basically an oral statement that harms reputation. And libel is largely, but not entirely, a written statement that harms reputation. And what I say not entirely is they created the concept of libel when you had printing and you had things being able to be distributed much faster uh, back in the 18th century and so forth. And therefore had to be something more significant than just saying something bad about somebody. So in American law, the distinction is oral versus written. But quite frankly, a lot of things, including like this broadcast, for example, are not technically purely written, they're oral. Right. So uh, that said, most states, in fact, I'm on a, on a group called the Restatement uh, Advisors, most state, which is considering this, most states have abolished the distinction between the two because it's, uh, it's largely an artifact of, as I said, medieval law. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. They need to modernize things a bit. Yeah. It's, so we all call it defamation mostly. Okay. And there's very few, very few differences. Um, but libel, uh, libel is something that at least was created as a, as a cause of action because it, it was threatened, threatened the crown. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Historically, something that was libelous per se basically was t- potentially seditious libel. Uh, and Americans have abolished that concept beginning back in the 1730s. Uh, when a printer in New York named Zenger, John Peter Zenger, was imprisoned because libel came as a as a criminal law initially, was imprisoned for criticizing the governor of New, the royal governor of New York, and he got off by hiring a Philadelphia lawyer named Andrew Hamilton, uh, and basically that established in American law the notion that a truthful statement about a matter of public concern is protected by. Well, they didn't have the First Amendment, but you know the you know the way. Yeah. yeah. The fair report privilege is another great tidbit of information to know. This basically insulates journalists from some defamation claims and applies if the content of the reporting deals with a matter of public concern. Now, something I remember when you were kind of going through our rebuttals <laughs> and everything, you mentioned the fair reporting privilege. Can you explain what that means to our listeners? That's a very very interesting privilege. Since I've defended the media for 45 years, I see it a lot. Um, What the fair report privilege is, uh, is a privilege. Number one, that means that it's exempt from libel law or defamation law or slander law, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's It's an absolute immunity in this case, simply to report on a matter of public record. If something's in a government record and the news the news folks do this all the time. They point to the public record. They say, according to a complaint filed in King County Superior Court, blah, 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 blah. That is protected by the fair report privilege so long as it's uh, basically accurate. It's basically pointing to a public record. 
And the reason for this is a First Amendment thing. You know, we, we wouldn't find out about the contents of our own documents unless we have a, a the ability to be able to talk about them without being sued. Mm -hmm. So it's a very important privilege. I, I've handled many cases dealing with it. Yeah. So that's basically like we could go in, we could pull someone's, you know, whole <laughs> log of criminal background like Brandon's and and we could absolutely talk about it. And he can't say there's privacy concerns or anything because of that law. Correct. I mean, that's that's what is, is interesting about what you all are doing. It's basically finding public records that deal with the points you're making. And um, those public records are golden because the law provides an absolute immunity to be able to share information that's in public records. This actually, I'm sorry, for Athena, I know you're going to ask, no, ask you're the good. next question, but no. I, it just, I never understood when, um, for instance, Bruce, you told me not to upload my phone records to prove that Brandon, um, that he faked he faked basically a text message from me and you're like, do, do not upload your phone records to the thing because that essentially just the whole world could get my personal phone number and anything on that. You know what I mean? Because once it's in the court systems, it, it could be potentially referenced. And I had wow. no idea. Or if you yeah. see like children's names redacted, like we even used Sydney as the name in our reports, not her real name. And I didn't right. realize that's the reason is you just don't want to have that on public record. Um, in most cases, that's not a liability issue so much as good, uh, good craftsmanship. Mm -hmm. Basically, there are things that may be liability issues um, because you may be revealing private information. Uh, but there are also things that are, are governed by just sort of knowledgeable um, rules about what you can or can't talk about. The courts are very good at cutting down people's use of social security numbers, for example. Mm -hmm. um, they will make an effort, and the federal court's very good at this. Do not put anything, any social security number in, into whatever you file, and they will rigorously enforce that. But there are other things, like you point out, people's specific names or private information uh, addresses. I mean, because of the bre breadth of the fair report privilege, the risk is you will be doxing somebody uh, yeah. unless you basically take a, a careful approach as a litigator, as a, as a person, a litigant. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Even with um, Brennan head while even from jail was able to get a child support order for the second time against me. So by the time I was served, I was owing between three and 5,000 by the time I had wrapped it all up, but when I was having to even upload or turn in up, turn in information, even though they were legal and court records already, if it wasn't redacted, they didn't even allow me to have the the um, the county from which the order was even put or entered. I had to redact even that. Wow, That's I know, extraordinary. Yeah, I was surprised. So this is making a little bit more sense. I don't know if it has something to do with it, but. Athena, you should probably tell him that Brandon is in jail. I don't think you know that, do you? <laughs> I think I was told I that, but I think you I was emailed told it. Did I email yeah. it? Yeah, in the I email it says, "Yeah." Oh my gosh, I can't even remember. I was like, "Oh, FYI." Yeah, it was He's like a. Jail. By the way, our ex landed himself, and uh, yeah, <laughs> I it's forgot. An, it's in Oregon. It's in Oregon, right? California. California. I knew it was down south somewhere. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it was oh, that, yes. you know, the girlfriend that um, he was accusing us of 
reaching out and almost like stalking her to run his life and run his relationships. Yeah. So he is in jail because yeah, breaking and entering attempted to kidnap and majorly assault with possibility of a lot more. So I think this month he is finally um, attending his last pretrial hearing, the discovery hearing. And then he's such a narcissist. He believes that he will win um, and so I won't be surprised if this goes to trial. And so Amber and I will be there. With smiles on our faces. Wow. Hi, I ben. can't believe it. I know. Wow. Yeah. Oh, what a craziness. But anyways, we digress. <laughs> where, where, in Calif- where in California is this? Northern Placerville. Um, El Dorado. Bay Area. Yeah. yeah, El Dorado. I guess. Yeah, you're, that's right. Yeah. El Dorado yeah. Hills. Crazy, crazy. Okay, so let's jump back in. The burden of proof is very high. Do most people pursue legal action? Do most people pursue legal action? Because the burden of proof is so high. I mean, you just said slander or libel. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that earlier that you are seeing it more and more because people because of the Me Too movement. So maybe that already answers. But yeah, the burden of proof is very high. So. Do you feel like most people are are pursuing the legal action or do you feel like they're still a little bit afraid of being able to, um, I guess, reach the the umbrella of being able to like take it further into court? Uh, Burden of proof in terms of First Amendment cases is, you're correct, high, which means it's difficult to win those types of cases, which means when I frequently have people ask me, should I do this? My first reaction is no. <laughs> it's a waste of ter- attorney time and and your money. I like um, that. At least you're honest. Yeah, and so that's that's the first reaction I have to these types of issues, which is there is a very high burden of proof, and you're likely to lose. Um, second thing is, I think it's this is not just the Me Too movement, um, but this is also the the current MAGA era. People are just being mean now. Um, there's a, there, you know, the 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 notion that just by being mean, uh, you get ahead, and you have Donald Trump who files these things regularly, just stupid, stupid, stupid lawsuits. That's a fair report privilege, um, <laughs> and and they get they get tossed out. I mean, there's there's a there's a case he filed, can't remember where, but it was against everybody who's ever said anything bad about him. Uh, and about his connections to Putin. And uh, it just got tossed out entirely, uh, including he, he sued Hillary Clinton, among others, and the Democratic Party and the FBI. And the, I mean, the, the guy just basically filed these lawsuits. They got thrown out and they're now asking for their attorney's fees because the, the case is so frivolous. So we're seeing these types of what I call revenge suits, mm-hmm. um, which is really the legal equivalent of revenge porn yeah. uh, in my mind. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's part of what's going on here. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like also the people that maybe have more money, they're more litigious, litigate. What's the word? Litigious. 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 Sorry. I'm like, I didn't sound very intelligent just now. um, (laughs) Litigation happens. Butcher that word. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it seems like if if you have a lot of money Mm -hmm. or if you're going to be, even if you're protected, be careful of the person on the other end. If they do happen to have some endless pockets, they might even be more likely to actually pursue a lawsuit. Yeah. Yeah. Legally abusive that way. 
Hem, anyway, Brandon. This, this is a, this is a, <laughs> I mean, you can't stop them from doing it, unfortunately. And the one gatekeeper, lawyers, uh, is not that good a geek, gatekeeper. If somebody's in, got an incentive to basically charge money to file a lawsuit that's frivolous. So um, these things get filed more often than not. Right. Uh, they're dangerous. And if you're the target of one of them, you really need to take it seriously. Um, I know I've mentioned to you and others in the past, libel is actually protected by your homeowner's policy or, or is covered by your homeowner's uh, or renter's policy. So you should be able to find a good lawyer. That was actually what happened with Amber Heard, by the way. Oh, I saw that. But they, now they're saying they don't have to pay because she lost. Yeah, I was I like, oh, no, she's probably dying right now. Oh. There's a downside <laughs> to dealing with an insurance company, which is, right? yeah, but the coverage is there if you can do it and, and if you can win, hopefully. So don't assume that you're going to be stuck when you get these, a, a summons, a complaint from your ex uh, saying you said something bad about him and he wants to sue you now. So make wow. sure you check your homeowners or, or renters coverage. Wow. Libel is part of the, part of the coverage available. And that's a really, a lawyer. Yeah. that's a really good point, right? That is yeah, amazing. That is amazing. I saw unaware people are of that coverage. I had no idea. Me either. Yeah. Oh, man. Sorry. Dogs Well, I, I was charging you guys nothing. So I figured, what's, what's the point of going to an insurance company? I'm going to charge if you're going to, if I'm going to charge you nothing. Yeah. True. Yeah. We got lucky. We got the best of the best. No. <laughs> we brag about good. you all the time. You, you I, laugh. I, We're always like, Bruce, we love Bruce. And we have like, give you nicknames. People Bruce know Almighty. you. Yeah. I, I know I know many of your fans, but some of some of whom work at my law firm. So oh. <laughs> I love they're it. So, they're so great. So I'm 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 soaking up the 15 minutes of fame as long as I can. <laughs> you know they're gonna do a docu-series on our story, Bruce. So they might come knocking on your door. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. It's, it's such a great story. Yeah. I know. It's so crazy. Yeah, we'll see. I couldn't believe it when you guys called. But anyway, I remember, I remember your facial expressions like, wait, what? Wait, okay, wait, what? Wait. Yeah. But it's like you, you believed us and it felt so good because it wasn't your first rodeo. You have heard these crazy things. Uh, But still, I mean, it's pretty out there. It's pretty far, pretty far out there. Is it really as easy as I have all the evidence, I'm telling the truth, or is there so much more than that? Because a lot of people are like, whatever, he can take me to court. I have all proof. But does that, <laughs> I mean, even with us, I have to say, like, yes, we have a lot of court documents and a, court, a lot of criminal record, but there's all, always a he said, she said component. Now, this is so, for a defamation case. For a defamation. So, okay. I mean, is it really just as easy as saying, well, I, I have everything recorded? You know, I do you have every single text. I mean, is it that cut and dry or is it a lot more complex where? Um, don't be maybe overconfident in that before you go blasting people. If you have a, one of these privileges, like we talked about the fair report privilege, you should be able to get rid of a case pretty quickly. Um, there's also one called the litigation privilege, which is during the course of litigation, um, communications back and forth between counsel and opposing counsel and so forth are protected by another privilege. So there are privileges that probably could involve getting rid of something early on. But otherwise, you may have be stuck with civil discovery, burdensome requests for admissions, burdensome interrogatories, burdensome 
requests for production of documents. Depositions. I mean, the, the, the ordinary case, you guys were lucky because you were in a very expedited procedure in, in dom domestic relations court. But the usual lawsuit involves really expensive, time-consuming discovery. And yeah. it could be a he, he, he said, she said situation. Hopefully it's not because now, you got these other privileges. Right. But here's on the flip side. What if your ex, can they use their homeowner's mm -hmm. insurance to sue you? Does it go that way as well? Or just the person who's getting no, sued? No. <laughs> this is liability coverage. It, uh, it gotcha. Liabilities. Um, you know, like slip and fall on your, on your property, that kind of thing. No, okay. it doesn't, it doesn't fund insurance. It doesn't fund uh, if they're a getting... lawsuit against somebody else. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. That's good to know. So basically that person needs to have potentially deep pockets to go after someone who they feel is being slanderous. Correct. And that's one of the reasons why I was very active in pushing what's called UPEPA, Uniform Public Expression Protection Act here in the state of Washington. What exactly is UPEPA? Well, it stands for Public Expression Protection Act. At the time of this interview, it actually has only been enacted in just three states, Washington, Kentucky, and Hawaii. And it's also been introduced in the following states, Iowa, Missouri, Indiana, North Carolina, and New Jersey. So, in a nutshell, this act is designed to protect an abusive type of litigation called SLAP. SLAP is otherwise known as Strategic Lawsuit Against Public Participation. It's generally filed as a defamation case, invasion of privacy, nuisance, or other type of claims, but its real purpose is to silence and intimidate the defendant from engaging in constitutionally protected activities such as free speech. I uh, went into effect in 20, 2021, and it's a, it's a way to get rid of cases early on. Uh, uh, and, and hopefully it'll be very successful. There's probably 35 or 36 states plus D.C. that have anti-slap laws, which allow you to get rid of meritless defamation cases involving matters of public concern. Mm, interesting. See, I like that you are so versed on being on both sides of it, defending it um, or, you know, defending against it. So this is good for think all of us to know to protect ourselves because a lot of the times we're dealing with vengeful exes oh, yeah. so um you need to know how uh, obviously to protect yourself against things like this so on that note what do you think are some absolute no-nos when it comes to providing information publicly about a person like their birthday their job their address photos <laughs> of them what do you think are the big no-nos um where they could potentially get into trouble with something like that. Uh, number one, if something is not in a public record, then, then it's it's a matter of, of concern. You, you, you don't have that absolute fair report privilege available. Okay. Uh, number two, the usual rule outside of the fair report privilege is, is this something, a, a serious privacy matter uh, that imp impinges on their reputation in a way that is not newsworthy for anybody else. In other words, just scurrilous stuff. That's the sort of classic invasion of privacy tort. And then there's a equivalent on def defamation law. Is this truthful or not? Um, and if it's truthful, you, you should win, uh, assuming you can establish that fact, although the other side bears the burden of proving falsity rather than you having the burden of justifying truth. But normally, 
statements of fact that are truthful are protected. Statements of opinion are also protected under the First Amendment. So now, uh, does that matter if you're posting about if you're legally married and you're posting about, say, your husband or wife and you're saying these things versus not being legally married? Would one be more protected versus the other? I don't think marriage makes a difference in that okay. situation. Okay. And there are, there are cases with people who have relationships, uh, non-marital relationships that are able to tell their stories just as much as people with marital relationships. So I think that that distinction doesn't really create a significant uh, distinction in the law. Okay. So there is a group of girls actually in the Seattle area who are going on this very popular podcast and they're outing him using his name and everything. They actually started a Instagram page and it got taken down from Instagram based Mm -hmm. on violating privacy laws and community guidelines is that taking away like a free speech right, I guess, essentially? Or like if if they're seeing it as, or maybe it's a personal thing for their business or whatever, but it basically was like, you're violating his privacy and you can't do that. And they took the whole page down because it was saying his name and where he worked and everything like that. Is it more considered like a doxing issue or I guess it's a little bit confusing? Uh, interesting question. First of all, a basic principle of First Amendment law which I think people oftentimes forget, and that is the First Amendment applies to government actions. It doesn't apply to private employers or private uh, homeowners or private, just private relations generally. It applies to activity by government. And of course that includes the courts, which is one reason why I was able to point to the First Amendment in, in connection with uh, Brandon's lawsuit against you guys. Um, but it doesn't apply to private, private enterprises, private individuals. If you work for an employer and the employer says, I don't think you should be saying this or talking about this, that's probably something that the employer and you can agree upon in advance. Uh, but normally, employers have a right to basically deal with employees under whatever conditions they believe are appropriate for the company. And that may extend to social media as well. If I'm on, a, if I'm on somebody else's social media platform saying things, they got the right to take it down because it's their platform, not mine. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. So, and then along those lines, since these women are going onto a podcast, not ours, but could that person go after the podcast host, the podca- <laughs> podcast uh, person who owns that platform? production company? Yeah. That's an interesting question. Um, there's a there's a, a statute called Section 230 of the not to, not to get into the weeds too much, <laughs> but Section 230 of the Communications Private Communications Decency Act which basically says uh, you are not a publisher for information generated by somebody else on the internet. Um, it basically is what has led to the profusion of user-generated co- content. Uh, that says that um, those protections may be available for somebody who's provided the platform and they're not the publisher of, of, of the, the UGC. And I think that's kind of the, the point you're making here, which is there's a different standard that may apply to somebody who's simply hosting hosting a podcast or hosting a website, and they will not be held liable under Section 230 as a quote publisher or quote speaker. Mm-hmm. Good. Okay, mark that down, Amber. Yeah, <laughs> have that in our back pocket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I actually feel like this is so random, but Brandon, his classmate, has a lawyer 
friend in New York who actually opposes that law. I remember her and I don't know why I thought it was two 30, basically like, so that, um, she's, she, how am I supposed to say that? So she defends women who have been like slut shamed and these slut shaming websites say we have the right, well, well, because what you just said, kind of like, so she's basically trying to oppose that so that those websites can't publish things like that or defamatory type slut shaming type of things, which is kind of like a different angle. Mm-hmm. Like it's a between free, sword. Yeah. yeah. That's a toughie. Well, the, the theory is, and this was passed in 1996 or 1997, I can't remember which year, but the theory is that uh, you really won't allow uh, websites to grow up uh, to grow on the internet and be successful if they're always going to be sued for what some clown says. They have to hire a huge legion of, of uh, researchers to, to take stuff down in order to avoid liability. So that type of risk was one that the uh, the pe- people that passed the statute back in the mid-90s said is something we shouldn't force on internet uh, service providers and the like. Mm-hmm. It's a judgment call. Yeah. But it was designed to basically make sure that we could develop the internet encourage user generated content and not have these people uh, forced to drag things down, to take things down. That said, within the last two or three weeks uh, the U S Supreme court has taken two cases, uh, which might cut back on section two thirty. So. Interesting. I could see some parameters being made, you know, just tweaking it, modernizing it a little bit, maybe to, to protect individuals in certain yeah, Aspects I mean, sexually, like the slut shaming. I mean, back then, before other... the internet, you wouldn't even have thought about a potential slut shaming website. Yeah. Like we wouldn't, we didn't even know that existed or could be. And then you know, freedom of speech and all that. Like it's so complex. I just, you know, yeah. Section two thirty has its proponents and its opponents on both left and right. So we'll mm. we'll see what happens when the when the court takes this first look at that statute. Yeah. So that's happening now, Bruce. You said there's a few uh, cases going forward, or they just took two cases. Uh, I remember one involves Google. I don't remember what the other one was, and they probably took cert uh, in early October. Mm-hmm. Decided to take, take, which means that it'll probably be heard in the springtime next year. This yeah. year, yeah, I bet. Okay, so oftentimes the person outed will send a cease and desist, which happened mm-hmm. with. Amber and I, when we outed Brandon or Ben in our podcast, he sent us the cease and desist. Um, can you explain what a cease and desist is? And should the individuals who are receiving them be very worried? How serious is this, I should say? Or is it just like a scare tactic, essentially? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's more a scare tactic. There's no reason you need to send something unless you want to frighten somebody to do something. Because it's not uh, a legal order. It's not a requirement of filing a lawsuit. Uh, it's useful if you don't want to surprise somebody with a lawsuit. Okay. Um, you know, it's without any hesitation. I mean, for example, the person on the other side, I mean, I, did, I didn't intend to post that. I'll take it down. I mean, it could avoid litigation mm-hmm. uh, if it's sort of properly presented. And if the other side says, yeah, I, I didn't mean to post that and I'll take it down. Um, so it, it could have some beneficial effects for both sides. But mostly it's just a, I'm going to sue you. That's all it is. So it's more of like an email, a letter, a notification, a document that has no legal ramifications. That's notifying and asking you to 
um, stop doing, to yeah. stop what you're doing or remove something. Um, and you do not have to respond to it. Is that correct? You do not have to respond to it. Okay. Correct. It's just, you can ignore it. You can put it in the, in the circular file. Um, and that's where most of these things end up. Quite frankly, if I had to guess, I'd say a majority of these things just get tossed out. They're sort of useless mostly. Um, mm -hmm. But they're, they're beneficial because you know somebody's going to sue you if they want to. Yeah, you're getting a heads up, right? That it's a possibility they're up. coming for you. Yeah, and, and if you want to take something down and avoid the problem, they're giving you the opportunity. Or yeah, yeah, or prepare to make sure you've got your bases covered if you plan not to take it down. Yeah. So, okay. Well, that is good to know. You want to hop to the number 13? Mm -hmm. Yes. Let's see. Me or you? Either's fine. I can do okay. it. Okay, go ahead. Um, okay. So what about a lot of people on our podcast and other podcasts, they'll go on, they'll change their name. Actually, kind of what me and Athena did originally, <clears throat> we changed Brandon's name to Ben. We changed the city and hometown he came from, various people's names. His career. His career, all that stuff. So a lot of people come on, they'll do that. However, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out if if your ex hears your voice on a podcast and he knows exactly who, who they're talking about, does he have any repercussions? Um, I, I like, I don't know. I mean, you mean like, does he have any rights to come yeah. after them? Because yes, because he knows who it is. The general public doesn't, <laughs> but he knows who it is. And I mean, or are you just basically going to get the wrath of your ex if he does hear about being on a podcast? And even though names are changed, there's nothing he can really do, right? Yeah. Um, in defamation law, the the liability turns on the publication uh, to third parties. And there may, there may be cases, there have been cases where somebody says, well, I didn't really clearly identify that as a, as I just used a, a pseudonym. And so they have to then show this was intended by the person putting it up there to be referring to you and that a significant people recognized him more or less. Right. So it, it does limit the extent to which he can sue you because he's got to prove more than just that's me. Mm. The people understood that was you, or at least a reasonable portion of the population. Yeah. Not just your like mom or your cousin's uncle. Like it has to be. Yeah, it's got, it's got to be lot. something beyond just, uh, yeah. I saw, saw that and I think that must be me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. On the other hand, uh, just using a pseudonym does not provide absolute immunity. Um, you read all these 19th century novels where they just do B hyphen and D hyphen and so forth. It, it's, uh, it's fascinating because I suspect there was probably more of a recognition in those days that not using the name might uh, provide some sort of exemption from liability. But that's not the case, huh? Not always. Not the case. Not, no. Um, it's it's useful not to identify people, and it's useful not to um, put something out where you, you can't stand behind it. Okay. But I don't think there's an absolute – I don't think simply using somebody as, somebody's a, a pseudonym necessarily gets you out of liability. Okay. I have one last question for you before we wrap this up. Mm -hmm. Um, if somebody was to be found guilty of libel or slander, um, any of those things, what are common 
repercussions in the legal system? Like, are you fined? Are you, could you serve time in jail? Um, is there something like a felony that goes on your criminal record? Is there well, anything? Fascinating. Um, I'll give you the long historical answer to that, which is slander was never a criminal liability. Libel was. Okay. Um, That's right. And there was a criminal libel statute in almost every state, mm -hmm. uh, including Washington State. I think we got rid of ours probably about 10 or 15 years ago. Okay. Uh, I, was, I was involved in a lawsuit that, that, that dealt with that problem. Um, but the, the, th the statute was still in the books. It had largely been negated by a U.S. Supreme Court decision called Garrison versus Louisiana back in the 1960s. Um, and you had to show something more than just libel. You had to show something approaching what's called actual malice, New York Times versus Sullivan, knowing falsity or reckless disregard. But even that was deemed insufficient. There's no reason we should be engaging the criminal laws to protect um, people people's communications on matters that are subject only to civil liability and historically. So civil civil liability is all that's there. If somebody gets a judgment, you saw that in the Amber Heard uh, case, uh, there will be a, a judgment for dollars okay. that can be collected by people going out and you know finding assets of the judgment debtor. Mm. But no 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 jails. Okay. At least in recent years, yeah. At least in Washington State and probably most U.S. states have gotten rid of so-called criminal libel. Okay. Good to know. Did yeah, you know that, Amber? I did not. Now we do. There you're you well go. You're welcome, X fans. <laughs> you got to get a but, free lawyer and you guys take advantage yeah. of it. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Um, and can we just do another shout out to Bruce, who is the smartest person I've ever met, who's memorized the whole entire legal encyclopedias. Um, <laughs> it is oh. mind blowing, Bruce. Like the way you can just quote things, just because our I listeners know. who aren't going to be able to see some of this. He's not looking stuff up in front of him on a computer. He's just spitting these things out. It is amazing. Phenomenal. I know. I remember the first time uh, Bruce, <laughs> I met you, I was like jotting notes down and you were just spouting out different things. And oh, what state are you in? Okay. <laughs> just, you can tell organs. this is his passion. <laughs> yeah. This is your passion. You spent, you spent a majority probably of your life defending this and, um, you know, like creating um, the new laws and implementing new things to protect people. And you can just tell that this is your passion because it's just at the tip of your tongue. Like you just know it all. It's amazing. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are so grateful for you. You've saved our butt, butts numerous times. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know what other words I can say. We're just so grateful. You've heard Amber and I cry on the phone with you. Like nobody's ever been able to help us. So we really appreciate being able to share this information with our listeners. It can really help them when they move forward, trying to protect themselves or warn others. At least they'll be, they'll have a, a better arsenal of weapons to help move forward without getting into trouble. So. And it's a cause I believe in free speech is something I've dedicated myself to for, for 45 years. So I got to read this stuff and keep up on it. Yeah, but it's an important cause. And I really, yes. really uh, stress you guys were there defending freedom of speech. And I felt obligated to help you out. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> Bruce is the best. We love Bruce. I know. All right. We'll try not to get in trouble where we need your services again. <laughs> but uh, just in case, trouble. we do have your phone number. Yeah. <laughs> You know where to find me. We know where to find <laughs> you. Know.
We'll find you. <laughs> we'll stock you with some wine. <laughs> One <laughs> payment again. Yeah, I wouldn't. It'd be great to get another two bottles of wine. Though. Heck yeah! <laughs> All right, Morgan Pino coming your way. <laughs> Love it. All right, All right. Bruce. Take care, Thanks, Bruce. and until next time. And once again, if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five star review and make sure to join our private Facebook group for even more juicy info. You can also find us on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. And of course, you can always visit our site at www.xwivesundercover.com.